The talk tonight is called, Does Loving Kindness Work? <laughs> One of the criteria that I um, often judge how a retreat is going and um, encourage you to judge how your practice is going is just to ask yourself the question, am I still here? You know, I look out and you're all still here, so I think you're doing great, you know. And that, that's really what it comes down to. You know, you're present, you do the best you can, and then we have to let go of control of the results of how it goes. Uh, but that, that sense of not being so easeful that we don't show up and we're not present, but not trying so hard that we burn out after a few hours, that we have this sense of going easy in the saddle through the retreat. This, this we can do. So you're doing great. You're still here. One of the um, ways that I appreciate the Buddha's example of loving-kindness being like the moment when a mother cow looks at her newborn calf is that sense of it being very natural for us. It's that natural care. It's that moment of connecting with our newborn heart. It's that moment of understanding the truth that we're not separate. That's a moment of loving-kindness. And that the Buddha gave an example of an animal, knowing that the animal realm can be a very difficult realm, and knowing that it's after a great labor that a mother gives birth. It's after a lot of pain. And even though we know that the world is full of a range of joy and sorrow, the idea is, can we still have this gentle, tender, wishing well? That's all this is. You know, it's that, it's that simple, it's that profound touching into the truth of a tender heart, of a gentle, newborn heart, that we all share and know. And yet we can make the practice so complicated by judging it and thinking it should be going a certain way. So the idea is that we start to understand that it's just that natural well-wishing. It's very pure, without attachment to result. The purity is that non-attachment to result that lack of concern with result, that no matter what, no matter how much we love someone, no matter how much we dislike someone, no matter where the person is or the being is, can we wish them well, no matter where they are in their life. One of the things that I've appreciated as I've practice loving-kindness is how my understanding of it deepens. 
that I might have a relationship to one of the phrases, like may you um, have ease of well-being while living on this world. Well, there are times where I'll feel like just this shift in my own understanding of what that means in this world. And then the experience of the loving-kindness deepens. All beings who take birth in this world face mortality, impermanence. And so we face this precious, aching beauty of life. And it's a gift. Incarnation, birth, is a gift. And it also has a fleeting quality to it. So by facing this newborn heart, this vulnerable newborn heart, we start to understand more and more deeply the preciousness of life itself through this practice of loving-kindness. It's good to remember that when we contemplate the image of mother cow and calf, that we take both roles on the stage when we're doing this practice. We take the role of the baby calf, and we take the role of the mother calf. There are times when we don't want to be the mother calf. We want to be the baby calf that's just receiving it. And learning to be the mother cow for ourselves can be difficult. There can be resistance to doing that for ourselves. We want so much that others would do it for ourselves. And then wishing well other beings, being the mother cow for them, and relating and connecting to them as baby calves. Sometimes when we are really angry at someone, we don't want to connect with that tenderness of heart within that person. It's so much easier to feel separate. It's not as painful. So when we start to deepen our understanding of the phrases itself, it's good to ask ourselves, what is a pure wish, and what is my understanding of the phrases? Not all the time, but there'll be times as you go through the days of practice that you'll find a shift in your understanding of the meaning. So, for example, when we say, may I be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. Five years ago, you might have had a very different relationship to that phrase than you would now. Traditionally, being free from inner and outer harm, or safe from inner and outer harm, are being safe from greed, hatred, and delusion. What we're wishing is very deep, sometimes we'll find that we jump up to the surface of our wishes for people. <laughs> may, we, may they get a new car. You know, it'll, you know, we'll notice that there's a lot of superficial wishes that we have for ourselves and others. And that's okay. You notice them and then see if you can connect with a deeper wish again. Being safe from inner harm is being protected from the hindrances of sleepiness, restlessness, doubt, aversion, attachment. 
May you be happy and peaceful of heart or mind. We're wishing people the deepest freedom, the deepest love possible. So we're wishing them a deep kind of happiness. Again, not just a surface happiness that's based on experience. When we wish this phrase, if we understand that we are sufficient, that we don't need any more than what we are right in that moment, it's an incredible wish when we have that understanding. It's not flat in those moments when there is the deep understanding. The phrase, may you be strong and healthy of body, we wish that for people even if they're really sick. You know, this is, this is a very hard thing to do sometimes. Sometimes people skip this phrase if they can't connect with it with somebody, if the person is ill in some way and they can't, they can't wish well and let go of the attachment to the result. So it's a pure wish. There are, some of you might find that you settle in on one phrase. Some will find that all four are appropriate. The last phrase is very much connected with the vicissitudes of life, the ups and downs. May we experience ease of well-being while living in this world, a kind of calm presence through the storms and the joys of life. Or may we take care of ourselves happily while living on this earth. They mean the same thing. There are times in my practice that I had to shift the phrases from the traditional phrases to the phrases, may I be happy just as I am. May I be peaceful with whatever is happening. And I shifted them because I couldn't say the traditional phrases without it getting connected to attachment or aversion in some way. And so those, those phrases have a built-in acceptance and equanimity in them. Because so much of the time we're wishing for someone to change. You know, there is that conditional love, I'll love you if, or I'll love myself if I change. And there's so much more emphasis at this point on the planet and our culture on all the ways we can change ourselves, whether it's getting a better muscle, you know, when working out here or there, going to this place or that place. It's a lot of fixing, 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 fixing. Uh, And there's so little emphasis on being okay the way we are. And it's not to say that we don't do things to take care of ourselves. But often the motivation, if it's all about liking ourselves, if we're not happy. Or liking someone else, if. It can be very interesting to see how we relate to the different categories. So, so far, we've done ourselves, benefactor, and if benefactor isn't working, we encourage people to shift to dear friend. 
Now those first two are meant to be, or three, oneself, benefactor, dear friend, they're meant to be easy, relatively speaking, in a day of a human life in a meditation retreat. You know, that you're meant to be choosing beings that aren't hard for you to connect with. So the idea is that you start with what's easy as a form of metta for yourself. This isn't setting up a system where you start with the most difficult person or being and see if you can wish them well. Because one isn't doing this with the force of will or a battering ram. One is developing the love and kindness and shifting to what's difficult when the loving-kindness is strong. And if you hit a barrier, you shift to what's easy. So for some people, for example, as you do this, you might discover that yourself is in the difficult category, actually, in fact, and you probably wouldn't start with yourself. Or you might do yourself for a while and then shift fairly quickly to what's easy. When we mention the word benefactor, culturally, it's a word that is difficult to translate. Even though we know the word, it's not a word that is so familiar for us in this culture. So we get an image of a, of, of a beloved elder benefactor, and often people kind of crash and burn because they can't find that person. Some people pick their children. Some people do find an elder. Some people find that they shift to non-human beings, that it's too hard to find a human being. If you can find a human being that is easy for you in this kind of relative benefactor category, you're really lucky. You know, I would consider it a great gift that you can find that. And if you can find a dear friend that is relatively easy for you to practice wishing well. Remember, we're practicing wishing well. We're not starting at an end point and saying, I can do this, this is it. No, this is practice. So we try to practice with something easy. If you're new to the practice, we joke about auditioning people for these categories, <laughs> you know, and, and it's fine. You know, when we saw, talk about somebody working for us, it means that you've probably tried a few people, and the idea is that you're, you're finding someone with, without a lot of stuff coming up. It's like their shadow side isn't in your face all day. So if someone's shadow side is in your face all day, I would try someone else. Because we wouldn't, cons- it's not that that's bad or wrong, it means that that's not so easy. Some people, when you use the word benefactor, it's like a blank comes up and we suggest dear friend. Now there are people who, human beings, too much stuff comes up and so we'll say, Do you ha- did you have a dog or a cat? And it's really important to, to be where we are with this. It's the, it's the connecting that matters. It doesn't matter what we connect with. It could be a butterfly that flies by. As you're walking, you'll find, ah, that feeling of, oh, I can wish that being well. It could be a worm. You know, it's like it's wonderful to have the time 
to be on retreat and actually be doing some walking outside and to have that moment where you hear a bird or see a flower and you find the heart come alive. It's only when we make the connection with another being that the heart will come alive in that way. I was very humbled by this practice when I started, and I started with myself, and I couldn't do myself. And it was so easy for me to shift to other people. And when I had to face that I couldn't do animate objects themselves, I shifted to a stuffed animal. That was humbling. I didn't like that I had to start with a stuffed animal. You know, it was just like, I'd be sitting there going, God, Michelle, you know, this is pathetic. And I'd have all this self-hatred about not being able to do myself. And I'd go down into these big black holes. It was really painful. Uh, But it was facing that inability, that barrier to myself uh, that was so healing. But took some years. So we don't force what's difficult. We do a bit of it, and then we shift and shift to what's easy. So whatever, wherever you find yourself in what I'm just describing, uh, see if you can be okay where you are with it. That's the only way we can grow. And it's quite. Um, revealing in this practice that that's how we grow in this practice. That's how the heart does come alive, through that patience. The Buddha taught that the proximate cause for the arisal of the experience of loving-kindness is to tune into the goodness of another. And so this doesn't mean that we're being Pollyannas. It means that we understand that everyone has a dark side, but we focus on the goodness. When you start with yourself, or you start with a benefactor to your friend, you're meant to tune into their beautiful qualities. And it could be just a few. When you get to difficult people, you sort of sit there trying to imagine what a beautiful quality is about that person. And sometimes you have to dig deep. But usually you can find something about someone that touches your heart. One starts to appreciate the beings that are easy for us through this process. One sees that it's relatively easy to tune into something that touches our heart about somebody. That's the connection. So it could be that somebody's funny and uplifting, or it could be that they're wise, or it could be that we appreciate someone for being quiet. You know, it doesn't have to be big, special things, but it's some way that we make that connection to something good in them. I took a flower arranging course once where uh, the teacher encouraged us to spend a lot of time not trying to make a flower arrangement. Uh, So we were only allowed to take one flower at a time. The idea was that we'd only use very few flowers anyway, but 
the practice was one of not making a flower arrangement. And we couldn't look at the vase. We, you know, sometimes she'd have me turn around and not even look at the vase and then put it in. But I wasn't allowed to put the flower in until I found the most beautiful angle of the flower. And that taught me a lot about this practice. That's what we do. We get the feeling essence of a being and or the image. Sometimes it's helpful to imagine the person sitting next to you or in front of you. You make it that personal. And then it's like twirling a flower and just just tuning into their beautiful qualities that touch your heart. And then you're meant to start it. And if you can remember that it's a practice, it's not a starting point where we think we should make the connection and be blissed out all day here in loving kindness. That's usually not how it goes. If it does, great. Enjoy it. But often it's not that easy. The Buddha taught that there are two types of rare and precious human beings in this world. One who shows kindness and one who is grateful for the kindness shown to them. That's often what we're focusing on at the beginning of a loving-kindness retreat. We're trying to focus on the beings who have been lifelines for us. And it doesn't, again, it could be a cat, it could be a dog, but if it's a human being, fine. Uh, but it's, it, it's often that realization. We had a student um, in British Columbia on our way here uh, who had never done this practice before. She came in to see me so excited because she remembered an older woman when she was in fifth grade who saw her. You know, she saw her, the qualities about her that no one had seen and valued, that in her family no one appreciated. And she started crying because she got it. That's who you start with. You start with someone in your life like that, who could, who could see you and didn't judge you. There's that deep acceptance. If you find it, you're lucky. So it's that sense of realizing that there are beings in this world who show us kindness. How wonderful to take time in your life to make the commitment to do this, to have a hundred or so beings or more beings in this room who are making the commitment to tune into beings who have been kind to us and then to feel the loving-kindness because of that, because they've touched our heart. We can remember the times in our life where we haven't had a spiritual friend and how flat or meaningless our lives are. We become our spiritual friend to ourselves through this process of tuning in to be a benefactor or dear friend. We become that lifeline as well for ourselves. You'll find that 
we will all encourage you a lot to keep going with what's easy. When I first did this practice uh, for two months, I spent a month just with the benefactor. I didn't shift off. Now, we don't have that much time here. It's important to know that if you've done the metta practice before, it also changes. Every retreat is different. And if we haven't done a metta a retreat before, uh, try to just see how it goes. You have to surrender to the form to learn it. But it could be that uh, you find that you really want to do yourself for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes at the beginning of a sitting. Other people might find that they switch off themselves after five minutes. So over time you'll get to know your way and try not to necessarily repeat an experience that you had before on another retreat because it could be different this retreat. But the general instruction is to stay with yourself, benefactor, dear friend, for quite a while. Also, we'll encourage you to keep it going as much as you can. Now, when you stand up here and you walk out to walking, see if you can keep it going. As you go to eat, see if you can keep it going. You know, it can be quite um, difficult the first few days of this practice to keep it going. It'll feel like a lot of doing, doing, doing. If you don't, if you've done mindfulness practice or haven't done it, uh, try to trust that it will start having a life of its own. If you hit a place where you can't keep it going anymore, you shift to mindfulness practice. You, know, you, fr- you do as best you can to keep it going. If you're doing someone and you hit a wall, you shift to someone easier. You might shift to someone easier again. But it's okay just to step in the clutch, notice the breath, notice sound. And we'll do an instruction period tomorrow for people who don't know the mindfulness practice. You will, at times, need to shift to mindfulness practice as you do this practice. It, it is kind of like stepping in the clutch of a car. <laughs> oh yeah, just the breath, sound. Or if you're walking, just walking, noticing the movement of the legs, the physical sensations. And then it'll, when the energy and concentration shift, you can start in again. If you do connect to other beings besides the human world, when you're doing walking meditation and you find it gets kind of dry, there are things to do. One of them is to imagine the person that you're wishing well to be walking with you in some form or at the end of the path and you walk toward them. Um, You can also, if it gets really, you feel really tight and it's too much, Just look at something that you can wish well. I mean, the chipmunks here are hilarious in some ways. You know, they can really just lighten things up. Um, Or you might notice just being with a flower or the sound of a bird. But there is a certain um, uplifting joy that can happen from opening up to the beauty for a while 
and then shifting back into the phrases and the essence of the being you're, you're working with. One of the things that is very helpful in doing the loving-kindness practice is understanding that the only way that beings get out of a hell realm is through loving-kindness. And so if you imagine any of your darker times in life, really hard times, the kind of hell realms that you've had in your own life, it's through someone wishing you well that we get out of it. You know, so it's very important to remember that <laughs> loving-kindness does work for, for difficult states, for oneself and for others. And even if you don't necessarily see the result of that loving-kindness uh, being sent to someone, it's, it's going. Even if they don't know they're receiving it, it is touching them. And it's the only way people do come out of the difficult places. So it's a powerful practice, much more powerful than sometimes we can understand. As Steve was saying this morning, the loving-kindness is a purification. And if we contemplate washing a dirty cloth in soapy, warm water, and we tumble it around and rub it, dirt will come out. Whenever we touch into the purity of the loving-kindness, it's like washing your heart in warm, soapy water. The metta is the warm, soapy water, And the opposite of loving-kindness can appear. Anger, irritation, grumpiness, resistance, fear. Uh, We we might judge that as, uh uh-oh, you know, the practice is going terrible. But actually, the practice is going great. You know, there's a purification happening. In this practice, it's a little confusing at first to know how to work with it because the instruction is to keep going with a loving kindness as much as you can, even when difficulty comes up. So you try to keep going wherever you are with the metta subject that you have, and then you shift to what's easy, and it's only then if you can't keep it going that you shift to the mindfulness practice. At first, just keep it simple, shift to breath, sound, posture, And then if that, whatever comes up, anger or sadness, whatever it is, then then we're mindful of it. So those are the steps, if you can. Sometimes we face our fear of being unworthy of loving-kindness. Sometimes we fear how unlovable we think we are. And sometimes at the core, us human beings have to face that at times we think that we don't deserve love. So if that comes up, nothing's wrong. We're meant to be facing the opposites and the masquerades of loving-kindness. There were so many times when I've done this practice where I would be thinking I was really wishing someone well unconditionally, 
And then I would notice this needing, neediness come up, like wanting love back from them. Uh, it was like a watercolor. And sometimes it would just be maybe 80% unconditional love, and then this little 20% neediness would come in, and I would resist it. It was like, no. Uh, and it was just neediness. So, you know, it's, it's very interesting to do this practice. Maybe that won't happen for you, this retreat. Maybe something else will come up. Lust can seem so much like love. Our understanding of what love is and what sexuality is, or erotic energy, uh, all of this can come up on a meditation retreat. What is nurturing? What is unconditional love? What do we really want? Sometimes we'll encourage you to get in touch with your deepest wishes for yourself as you start this practice because of this. You know, that we will have a lot of other motivations in in life around what we think love is. But often if we get in touch with what we really want, it's usually this pure, unconditional love. If you get in touch with that for yourself, you'll know that all beings who take birth also want unconditional love. It's the nature of the heart when it's alive. The other thing that I've mentioned um, already, but that can be um, uh, the opposite of loving-kindness, when irritation or anger comes up, sometimes it takes the form of the judge, you know, that big looming being that uh, is so critical, self-hatred, self-judgment, or even the cruelty. Loving-kindness is an incredible antidote for that. And if you can, um, sometimes if you have a strong pattern with judging, if you just send some loving kindness to that judge, sometimes the judge will start smiling. You'll find that the concentration has four parts as you do this practice. The first part is being able to actually say a phrase to yourself, like, may you be happy. If you're too tired and there's not much concentration, you can see how frustrating it can be. One can't even, you know, one's blank. When I first did this practice, I used to write the phrases on my hand. And I couldn't believe I'd forget them. And then it became clear to me that even after two months of doing the practice straight, I'd forget the phrases. You know, you hit this low energy, and it's like, oh, where were we? You know, what is, you know, what is, what are we doing here? Uh, so being able to say a phrase is a big thing. May you be safe and protected. Compared to the normal chatter of our lives, that's huge. There's a way in which we can judge this practice and think, oh, so what? So what, I can just say this phrase. 
But I found in my daily life that if I do enough of this practice on a retreat, when I really need it most, one of these phrases will come just naturally at its most unexpected time. Like if somebody cuts me off and I'm in a rush in traffic and someone cuts me off, it's like, may you be happy? (laughs) You know, it'll come. We often are on retreat and we'll think nothing's happening. We often don't find out until we leave that a lot has happened while we're here. The second part of the concentration, besides being able to say the phrase, is understanding the phrase. We might be saying, may you be safe and protected, may you be happy and peaceful, and we might as well be saying, May you eat pine needles. May you eat pine needles. There's just nothing in the, in the mind that is connecting with any meaning. Uh, it's okay. If, it, if you're able to just connect with a phrase, keep it going. If there's not a lot of meaning, all that means is there's not enough energy and concentration. It isn't personal. You don't need to feel like you're failing or that something's wrong. If you notice a shift, that means that there's connecting and then sustaining. That's the the concentration part of this practice. You'll notice a difference. You'll feel more juice in the practice. You'll feel more connected. And then the third part of the concentration is being able to connect those phrases and the meaning of the phrases with the feeling essence of someone or some being. You see, they're pieces. And sometimes we'll just get a piece, and then maybe five minutes later we'll get another piece. Try to have some patience with this process. Sometimes you'll get the feeling essence of someone and then not be able to say the phrase. It takes time for the concentration to develop and deepen. The fourth part of the concentration is when we will have an experience of loving-kindness. You know, I've seen people go a month with the first three coming together sometimes and the fourth not happening. If you don't have the experience of loving-kindness, this whole retreat, a lot has happened. And a lot of good things have happened. There'll be times, if you do feel the experience of loving-kindness, where you'll shift from feeling separate from that person or being to feeling like the heart is totally connected. It'll shift from feeling like you're sending out the loving-kindness or sending into yourself to feeling like it's just there. There's no separation or duality. And that's when we break down the barrier. The truth of interconnectedness is there. And being in touch with that truth of non-separation feels wonderful. There'll be times when you won't need to say any phrases when that's happening. You can drop the phrases. And there might be feeling just tranquil or silent. You might not feel a lot of loving-kindness. I have a friend who uh, studied and practiced acupuncture for about, I think it's been about 20 years. Uh, 
And he told me once that one of the most astonishing questions that people will ask him, people who know that he's been studying and practicing acupuncture for 20 years, the astonishing question that they ask him is, do you think acupuncture really works? You know, and he just can't believe that they know he's committed 20 years of his life to it and that they would think he didn't think it would work. So you might have times today where you ask, do you think loving kindness really works? Well, I would say, yeah. You know, we can all deeply assure you that we have total faith in this practice. And I wanted to share an experience that I had um, this winter with my sister. My sister died in January, and as she was dying, um, she had a difficult family situation, and she was in Pennsylvania, and I was in Hawaii. And she was put in a terrible nursing home, kind of one of the worst you could imagine. Uh, And I was doing my best to try to get her out, but I wasn't sure I was going to be able to. And I really had to just let go of control once I did the best I could. Uh, And I felt very helpless, you know, just in the face of the suffering, in the face of the little that I could do. And I happened to be on this beautiful land, uh, beloved land on the big island of Hawaii that our retreat center might be on. And I went to these cliffs, this very powerful sacred space uh, overlooking the ocean. And just very spontaneously, I just started singing this song that we used to sing together as children that I hardly had remembered. Uh, But it was such a happy uh, time for us in a very difficult childhood that, that singing that song together. So I sang it and sang it and sang it And then later on, I had this very strong feeling to to light a fire for her. So that night, I went down to the the beach there, and I lit a fire for hours. And both things, if you think about them, are very simple. A song, a fire, very elemental, very simple. When we do the loving-kindness practice, which is what I was doing, really, we don't know often what the result is. Uh, But in this case, I had such a verification of it. The next day I called and what I had tried to arrange had worked and my sister was home and I happened to be able to talk with her. Uh, And she said she had no idea, absolutely no idea where I was or what I was doing. And she said, thank you for singing me this song. And she knew the song, she knew the words, and I mean, it was just incredible. And then she said, and I was so cold, thank you for lighting me the fire. So we wonder sometimes, does loving kindness work? And yet, what we can tell you over and over again is that there is no separation. No matter how distant, no matter how close with the person sitting next to you in this hall. It's like the truth of the heart is that there's no separation. And we know deep down that that's true. That's our homing instinct. That's why we're here for this course. 
sometimes we have to go through the the boredom, the weariness, the doubt, the sleepiness, the restlessness, that the irritations, the purification, the anger, the neediness, the loneliness, uh, to keep coming back to this place of truth. And I can assure you that as I've done this practice, I find that my understanding of what unconditional love is keeps growing and my ability to practice it keeps growing. And I see that for all of us, that, that the, it's bringing a great gift to this um, world, and particularly our culture. It's like we, we, we are in a kind of desert of um, this, this loving-kindness. And the, the, you're not doing a selfish act here. It's like by doing this, even though it can be difficult at times, you're bringing into this world this... Uh, the Buddha sometimes described loving-kindness as a soft rain. You know, you're, you're filling up this world with this loving-kindness. It's a great gift to yourself and all beings. It's very simple, very pure, and a very natural wish. So let's sit for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.